0: Welcome to The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome once again to The Waggle podcast brought to you by us here at the CFL and CFL.ca and myself, Donovan Bennett and... What we brought to you recently was the CFL draft. The 2021 class has been welcomed to the league by the various teams. It went down Tuesday night, and we recap it with a guy who was there in person welcoming the players in the league and giving you context, analysis, and maybe some predictions on how they would fare in their new roles on new teams, or if they would even make it to the league at all. That'll be Farhan Lalji who gives us his great perspective on this edition of The Waggle. So fresh off of his coverage of the draft, he is breaking it down with us. And I love Farhan Lalji because he not only has coached, with or against many of these players, but he's tracked them throughout U Sports and NCAA. And in his coverage of the draft, his role has transformed at times from being a reporter to an analyst to a host. So we love that he's bringing all those perspectives here with us on the Waggle. Maybe first things first, what is your, I guess, maybe main takeaway from this draft? Because I had it in my mind as a are aware for once, some of those really high-end future prospects went early in, in abundance. And I thought some of those players were suppressed and went a little bit later than I thought, given uh, the way of the world. What was your perspective?
0: Yeah, you know, I, watching the this play out, it, it really is always amusing how it kind of comes full circle on certain players or certain themes in any given year. And this was a totally different draft because of the number of kids that were going back to school, right? All the NCAA guys that had the extra year, all the U sports high-end players that deferred because they wanted to get another year under their belt. So I was like you. And when I talked to GMs a couple of weeks ago, I got the sense that it was going to be a lot of futures early. And look, I'm not surprised at all that Javon Holland didn't get picked or the Josh Palmer didn't get picked. And And I'm a little surprised that Benjamin St. Just did get picked. I thought he might not, given how high he got took. But those other guys that signed uh, undrafted free agent deals, the guys that are going back to the NCAA, I did think they were going to go early. But then I kind of got the sense in the days leading up to the draft that the GMs had kind of turned a little bit. And in the first two rounds, I expected each team to take a future and take a now guy. And I kind of thought in the beginning, they would take the future first and the now guy later. And I think the feeling became there were more good futures available. There might not be as many good now guys available. So we better get them earlier. And we can wait until round two to get a few more futures. And that's that's kinda how it turned out for the most part.
1: He mentioned some of the futures. The name that many of these listeners wouldn't know would be Shuba <laughs> Hubbard, who went forty third overall to Calgary. You said you weren't surprised that josh palmer didn't get picked given his production in college and the fourth round pick by the panthers is not incredibly high but it's not low were you surprised that chuba got picked
0: um a little bit like i mean i look i did think one of the alberta teams would take him at least in the sixth round right and so that he got picked in the fourth a little bit of a surprise but for you know for the most part i think the difference between guys like palmer and saint just versus chuba is palmer and saint just their stock was rising going into the NFL draft big time, especially Josh Palmer's. Chuba's was falling, and, and I'm happy for him that he got taken in the fourth round because that was kind of the projection. But, you know, Eamon had a draft grade. Uh, Alaric Jackson had a draft grade. They didn't get taken at all, so I was a little worried because, you know, the, the book on Chuba is that we know how athletic he is, and we know how well he runs, but there's some real concerns in pass protection. And I think CFL teams also saw those exact same concerns in pass protection so i think because of that and because his stock was falling in the nfl process i think there are some people who believe that at some point he is going to be available in the cfl now i think he's in a good situation in carolina you know you look at what they've got and christian mccaffrey who a has an injury history and b they use him in so many different ways that you could line him up in the slot and still have a chuba in the backfield mike davis got a lot of carries for them a year ago but you know at under four yards per carry i think they could upgrade there so he's in a good situation in carolina but going into the process he was falling and i think that stuck in the minds of cfl evaluators going into this draft
1: let's start at the very top of the draft and jake burt the tight end goes first overall coming out of boston college spent last year on the new england patriots practice roster kids six 240 runs well four five ish in the 40 but but i I liked the pick, but I also liked it given that Hamilton essentially almost had, you know, two high-level picks. Considering the last pieces of the the, the much talked about at the time Johnny Manziel trade gave them uh, Montreal's pick, and they get linebacker Nick Cross with the ninth pick. And, and overall, when you look at what they did with three picks in the first two rounds, I love the fact that they, they, they took you know a tight end first in the CFL <laughs> draft, um, and, and they got a bit of balance. What, what What did you view of their picks when you look at them maybe in isolation but also in concert?
0: Well, Jake Burt's a fascinating case because he just got added late, as you know. But if you were on his conference call a couple of days ago, this guy just wants to play in the CFL and he says all the right things. I think by the end of it, he's going to wind up running for office somewhere, <laughs> right? Just because he, like he was waving the flag as, as hard as you could possibly wave it. Uh, he wants to go to Saskatchewan, wants to play in the East, wants to play in BC, like just, oh my goodness, right? So he, he's a well-spoken guy. And when I think of his case, I think of Alex Singleton, obviously mm-hmm. different positions, but Singleton's a guy that, that had some experience in the NFL before he was in the CFL draft. And, you know, I, I think having that pro experience, I think mattered a lot to the Hamilton Ticats. They've been trying to get their receiving situation as far as the Canadians sorted out for a long time. And that even predates the Mark Chapman fiasco that, you know, he doesn't wind up playing a game in the CFL as the number one overall pick in 2018. And I thought that it was down to Bert or, or, or uh, Terrell Janna for them. Right. And I, I did get the sense they wanted to get a now guy with their first pick. I'm surprised they took a now guy, and when I say now, I mean guys that are going to be in training camp for the listeners that, that aren't, if it's not that obvious, but uh, they took one at one and at nine, right? Because mm-hmm. they got Nick Cross at nine, and they didn't take their future until the second round. Now, as far as Bird's concerned, I think he's going to be able to do a lot more than play inline tight end. You know, the the big receiver is kind of coming back in vogue. The reason I thought the Ticats might actually take Janna is because they've also got Nikola Kalinic who's a similar body type and skill set to Jake Burt and I thought why you know why do you necessarily need two of them but I think they believe Burt can do a little bit more I think they they feel he's going to be comfortable in the slot with his speed and his movement skills he's got good hands the question with Jake is can he stay healthy right he had a, he had a couple of ACL surgeries he had a collarbone uh, injury uh, he had a concussion last year while he was with the Patriots so if he can stay healthy I certainly think he's got the skill set to excel and and one way or the other uh, it'll allow Hamilton to get closer to figuring out the Canadian receiver situation.
1: Yeah, that's a great point and a great comp that you mentioned. That they've got you know an H back, if you will, already in the fold, so a little bit more depth there. A team that needed depth all across the board. It was Ottawa. And I think they did well. Deshaun Stevens in the first round, linebacker out of Maine, you know, traditionally a middle linebacker, but you could see him coming off the edge and, and being a, a force player there. Still has NCAA eligibility, so there's another uh, future. And then Alonzo Adai, free safety from West Virginia, transferred from New Hampshire he is another one who they might have to wait to see if they actually get him because he's an impact player but the real question will be what is his evaluation in terms of being physically able to play in the league but in terms of talent I really liked what Ottawa did but Ottawa is a team who needs to to play well right now what did you make of, of the draft that the Red Blacks had
0: I think they have a strong feeling that they're going to get Deshaun Stevens now uh, by taking him that high. Now, he's a good player. Um, they, He wants to go back to school. He wants to transfer up and play at the FBS level. He's currently in the FCS level at Maine and has had a really good career there. And he ca- came off uh, Achilles injury as well and played their mini spring season. And he was able to show that he is back up to, to 100% full speed. I think he had 36 tackles in four games, but he has not got the offer he wants yet. And I actually talked to somebody with maine's program this morning uh, because they were pretty happy about getting some guys taken in this draft and you know they think he might get like a small group of five offer there might be something at the 11th hour but in terms of that big power five offer that he's looking for i don't think that's going to happen and i think he's made it clear he's not going back to maine he will come to the cfl if he doesn't get the the offer that he wants and you know i i think it'll happen for him so this guy will he start right away I don't think so. Where will he start? That's still to be determined. I think Ottawa likes him as a linebacker. Some teams projected him as a defensive end. Does he run well enough to be a sideline-to-sideline side line linebacker in this league? I don't know. But the kid's physical, and he loves to come downhill, and you know he's got those instincts. I'm impressed more than anything that Mike Benavides won out over his head coach because he got two defensive players taken in the first two rounds. <laughs> and, and, and when you look at Alonzo Adai, this kid, Donovan, is a stud. Like, I love this kid. And if he was two inches taller, he would be in the NFL draft. And and you look at his game, he's only 5'10", and he's, he's barely 190 pounds. I actually think he was better at West Virginia than he was at New Hampshire, And he could be that CFL player that could play in so many different spots. You don't just have to play him as a deep middle free safety. You know, he can be the field corner. He might even be able to play Sam. He's that physical and instinctive and understands the game that well. So will he have a great second year at West Virginia in a pass happy conference in the big 12, because if you, if you look at the adjustment he made from New Hampshire to to West Virginia, if he has if he has that kind of trajectory next year, the NFL is going to have to take a look at him. But the size is going to be a factor. You know, I I compared him to Earl Thomas from the Seahawks, who was like five ten, but he was two hundred pounds, and he was just so physical and everywhere. Could he get that opportunity? You know, could a die get that opportunity? I don't know. And I think the uh, the Red Blacks are banking on the fact that. They will wind up getting him, and that he won't get a meaningful NFL shot. If both those guys are in the CFL in 2022, the Riders D, or sorry, the Red Blacks D, is looking really good.
1: I love the Earl Thomas comp, and I'm, I'm almost kicking myself for not thinking of it. You know, when I watched his, I team, couldn't get
0: it out last night during the broadcast. Oh no! I, you know what? I I, t- I talked to Mike Benavides during the day about it, and I thought Earl Thomas, and Mike's like, "Oh, don't tell me that," because now I'm thinking he might get a shot, and I'm talking in the middle of the show, and, I, and I'm and i talking about comparable safeties, and it's in my mind, and I'm in, you know, like, I covered him in Seattle, and I couldn't get the name out.
1: Oh, that's the worst. So, that's the worst. Well, we're glad we gave you one a mulligan got, to, to, to get it out. There you go. Uh, but it's funny, when I watch him, not the ball skills, not the top-end speed, but in terms of the way he is or could be utilized, I think of the Honey Badger. I think of Tyron Matthew a little bit, and someone who is yeah. just, you know, a football player, and you could put him in different scenarios, and he'll still be, in fact, Impactful and just has a nose to, to find his way to the football another team again that theoretically wants to day one be much more competitive than the last time we saw them play football but we're patient let the draft come to them and really stuck to their board and, and again took some futures. The B.C. Lions we got the offensive tackle Eric Jackson in the second round, uh, Daniel Joseph, um, who's going back to North Carolina State, but still a high level player. I liked what the group in B.C. did. What did you make of you know the team that you cover quite often and what they did?
0: Yeah, I feel the same way. And, and you're right. They do need to win now. But I just I'm not convinced there was anybody available that was going to help them win now. Now, Stevens might be one guy that could. Uh, and maybe they didn't have the same intel or didn't feel as bullish on him. I, like, I do rate Joseph as the, as the top defensive player that I think has got a chance to come here. I mean, you know, like I said, take the J, uh, take the Javon Hollins out of the mix. I, like, I, I think Daniel Joseph is a guy that can come in and make an impact. The Lions desperately need to figure out their defensive line. You know, I, I'm a little nervous about what that's going to look like this year. But if Daniel Joseph can come, like, they haven't had a Canadian impact guy in the D-line since Brent Johnson retired. And they, they've got to fix that. And Joseph is a legitimate player. If, if he, again, same thing, if he jumps, if the if the trajectory he took from Penn State to NC State continues in the final year, some NFL teams are going to be looking at him at 6'3", 250. But he's a little older, right? So they don't want to bring in 25, 26-year-old guys for the first time. So I think that's working against him a little bit. So I think if the Lions can get him in a year, and then Alaric Jackson, you know, clearly the best offensive lineman on the board. And it's bizarre to me that he didn't get drafted. He had a grade that was sitting there in the fifth round, and he doesn't get drafted at all. This guy was a second-team All-American, an All-Big Ten player, started 42 games at left tackle for a Kirk Ferentz and an Iowa team that's known for its production of linemen and tight ends. And I don't know if there's a backstory. I haven't figured that out yet, if there's a backstory as to why he didn't get drafted. Because, you know, every kid that goes to the Senior Bowl gets drafted. Like, it's it, it just – I. I'm trying to wrap my head around it, and I think the Lions have, have swung on both these guys, and if they hit, and they haven't always, but, you know, like I, I use the Brett Boyko comparison, you don't want to go through that again where you're waiting until year four, and then it never works out when he gets to you. You know, if they can get him by year two, uh, these two picks are going to be home run picks for them.
1: Yeah, I really like him, and I think, you know, you're right. He is, you know the most you know, probably talented, uh, naturally offensive lineman, uh, in this class. Another lineman I really liked both personally and, and, you know, now professionally as a, as a potential player, is Liam Dobson, the third overall pick, uh, start 27 games at guard at main 340 pounds. Kid can dunk a basketball. if, if I had to choose one player who I think you know is going to be an everyday starter close to the beginning of their career, he would be my pick. Am I, am I off on my evaluation of him?
0: No, I don't think so. I, I think you're right. I think he's he's a good one. I think he fits the CFL game really well, right? And you know when when you look at him, you know I know he's he's tried to transfer up a level as well and and see if he can get that opportunity. He's trying to get he's at Texas State, and unlike uh, unlike um, Stevens. He didn't wind up. Uh, he didn't wind up waiting and, and doing the spring season. He went in January so he could get that part of it going, right? So graded out really high. He's a physical offensive lineman. I think I saw stats somewhere that said he averaged twelve knockdowns per game, which seems high, but you know it, it came from the school's site, so uh, I'll I'll take their word for it. And you talked about dunking a basketball. There's this like viral picture of him making a one handed catch, one handed diving catch at Maine as well. So. He's an interesting cat. I think he's got a great personality. The coaches there love him. He really thinks the game well. I think he prepares like a professional. And I think he'll be able to come in and, and be a day one starter, which not all of them are.
1: The, the pick that surprised me a little bit, and not necessarily because of the player, but maybe more so because of the position, was Nelson Lacombeau at Aberstead. B.C. to the Riders. Top defensive player in U-sports in 2019, but I didn't necessarily see the position in terms of addressing the secondary being a critical need at that point. What was your read on what what the Riders did with their first overall pick, second overall?
0: Yeah, I think unlike BC, I think they wanted to get guys in the building to help them right away. And, And, you know, there's always that constant pressure in Saskatchewan. Uh, And they've got two needs. They've got a needed defensive line and they've got a needed defensive back because that's where they're going to try to fix their ratio after you lose a guy like Cameron Judge. So right now, Mac Henry potentially replaces Zach Evans. And Zach Evans has been so good there for a while, right? And so there's going to be a bit of a drop-off there, you know, but there was not that obvious person who could come in and be a rotational guy right away. Then you look in the secondary and the other ratio solution is, well, you've got Mike Edom at safety and now you've got – Ili um, Ilibuka that's going to play a fieldside corner. So they've got that as a possible penciled-in situation. So if you do that, now Lacombe could potentially give you some flexibility competing in both spots, right? So he could be right away your third defensive back that could come in and play in either spot. So uh, I think they like what he can do. Uh, talking to some other defensive coordinators around the league, I mean, and opinions vary on the position he should play. Uh, you know what his level of physicality is. It it, it kind of depends on who you talk to. But the one thing everybody says is his burst and his change of direction is at a high NCAA level. Like he's like that kind of guy. You know, I had one guy say he can go from the. He can burst near the sideline and go to the far hash in the blink of an eye, which on a CFL field is not easy to do. So I think when you look at him, if that skill set does translate to the next level, you know, I, I think he can, he can help in those areas and that's what they need to address. And then when you look at the riders getting Jana late in the second round, that might also give them some ratio flexibility on the offensive side. That'll take some pressure off the defense because they're saying that Janna is going to come in and compete for a starting spot right away. And I'm not sure that it's Justin McInnes' spot. Right, because he's likely going to get a spot as well. So they're talking about Jana playing in the slot. So they may go with two Canadian receivers. Which, which, if it, if that does in fact happen, that's going to change their ratio entirely.
1: You know, he goes uh, two uh, as a defensive back. You don't get another DB until Ottawa at 13. Really early, what we saw was offensive linemen, linebackers, D-linemen. You got the two skill guys, and, and no disrespect to, to linebackers, as you consider yourself a skill guy, but I'm talking about people who who's line up outside the hash marks or in the backfield. You got the two skill guys at the top of the draft, and then we had a run on interior players. I, I all i heard was how good the secondary was in this draft and and we didn't necessarily see it early were you surprised that the makeup in terms of positions that we saw in the first two rounds
0: a little bit but you know all the talk of the secondary was also talk about guys you're not going to get right away right so we did see a few more of those guys you know you saw a die uh, in the second round, you saw Dean Leonard at the end of the second round, right? And then it, you, Patrice Rene early in the third round, right? Which I think of those guys, it, you know, if if you gave me a choice right now between Rene and Leonard, based on what they did a year ago, I'd probably say Dean's more likely to get an NFL shot than, than Rene, but I think they're both going to wind up being in this league. So really, really high-end defensive backs for sure, but it's just a case of, of where you're going to get them and how that's going to work itself out, right? So, you know, as you get to the middle stages, I think there were a lot of those linemen uh, you saw, you know, you mentioned the interior players and you saw, uh, you know, pierre Olivier Lestage go at the top of the round. Bryce Bell, uh, Sage Dockstetter as well, right? And and then, of course, Larry Jackson with, with the Lions. So, you know, those guys weren't going to get out of round two. So, as I mentioned at the top, once teams decided they wanted to get guys in the building right away in round one, and you saw more of those, as many as six that are going to be available from round one, you knew that run, was going to happen in the next round. And and that's why guys like Pere Lestage and and Sage Dockstetter were able to go uh, where they did, and and Jackson as well. Interesting to me, though, when I I saw Lestage go where he did, didn't surprise me at all because I I just don't think Danny Machocha is going to take anybody that's not connected somehow to Montreal, right? Like, we saw that coming, didn't we?
1: (laughs) Yes, of course. Of course, um, it, it, but I guess, you know, go with with what, you know, uh, so we'll see how that works out in in Quebec. So it's interesting in a, you mentioned uh, Montreal and in, in, in Machocha and, you know, he's got, uh, you know, a, a group in terms of his front office that, you know, he's adding to and, and they're, they're, they're bringing along and I, I really looked at this draft differently in terms of how football ops groups looked at it every year you know the draft is somewhat of a new animal and you're addressing some of the needs that you've got based off of your self-evaluation of your team and maybe things that you you can't or were too expensive to do in free agency or, or losses in free agency where this draft I almost looked at it as an extension of the draft last year in terms of what do we have what do we need when you look at what the individual teams is there one team one position group one selection that you see really really being impacted by what a team did a year ago with a group of players who has yet to play a snap in
0: the cfl yeah saskatchewan uh, you know they got matlin riley in the first round they need to get younger along the offensive line right they Uh, they wound up adding evan johnson to help there right so i know that there were some other players that were kind of you know potentially tied to them but they didn't go offensive lineman early at all right so they you know they take the two skill positions who was the third pick bruno labelle another big receiver type right they didn't get into the offensive line until logan bandy who fell to them in the fifth round most teams had a higher grade but Again, you look at what they did a year ago, and that matches up with what they felt they didn't need to do again this year, right? I mean, they've still got, uh, you know, Woodmanzy there, and like so, so they've got some pieces that that they're kind of working in, but uh, it, it allowed them some flexibility this time around. You look at a team like Winnipeg, and not necessarily what they did in the draft last year, but the overall makeup and flexibility of their roster. You know, they took a, a bit of an off-the-board pick. Now they loved him, okay, in Retta Cramdy. 16th overall from the University of Montreal defensive back, but they took this kid as purely a special teams player, right? And, you know, do they have a lot of depth at defensive back? They don't. You know, they've got the Hallett brothers as kind of their backup DBs. They play with five imports in the secondary. They went, you know, with with a few more linemen and got that sorted out a year ago. But they've got the flexibility now based on what they've done in drafts past where they can focus on special teams, right? And and we're able to get that guy, right? I mean, they they took uh, – in the first round, they get Dobson – who fits their style because he's such a physical lineman right and for them more than any other more than any other team they gap scheme and man block more than everybody else who runs as much zone scheme as as the other teams do so they want that physical player but then after that you know they they were able to have the flexibility to, to purely take a team's guy and not even think of where he can help in the secondary you know because of how physical he is right so a couple of those teams you can see how that worked itself out based on last year
1: yeah, it's an interesting point, and it's so funny, especially, you know, at that level of the draft, often you're looking at someone's value on teams as the floor and then their potential value, if not right away, but in, later in their career, uh, you know, as a early down or every down player, as the ceiling, where they're literally able to go and get some teams, you know, superstars that are going to change uh, the aspect. And also look at the head coach, what's his background? In teams. So that, that makes certainly a lot sure. of sense. We talked about uh, off the top the implication of the the draft and in the United States, the NFL draft going early and what that meant for for the CFL draft. And it's changed given calendars over the years. But I do like having the NFL draft first. So we have a little bit of certainty going into the, the CFL draft. The four Canadians taken the drafts, and then the four Canadians signed as free agents. You know, let's just talk about football in Canada in general. What do you make of some of the situations that those guys found themselves in, and really the depth of the class that that we're seeing going into the NFL?
0: Yeah, I think it's fantastic. You know, I really do, and I, you know, as I said on NFL Draft Day, I'm thrilled at the fact these aren't all linemen right? And like yes. the four guys that wound up getting drafted. And that's not a shot at the lineman, but you know, you, you and I both know growing up as, Canadian football people in this country, you need those role models and you see what's happened in basketball, right? Like Vince Carter, people give Steve Nash credit. I love Steve Nash, but Vince Carter is who inspired all those basketball players in the GTA to do some of the things they're doing. And now we're seeing a wave of them in the NBA in the last decade as high draft picks and and the problem in football is they're all linemen that are getting drafted, so we need these skill guys to do it because people want to see chase Claypool, touch the football and score. That's who inspires, right? So. I think I think that matters. And and so we see that and we're seeing more of these players. You know, I, I'm not huge on the trend that sees everybody having to go to American prep schools. You know, I'd love for people to be able to do it here. You know, I, and I, I believe there's a window I, like if you're a quarterback, I don't think it's possible right? Like, I, I don't know the day is going to come where a quarterback can be Canadian high school developed and get a division one scholarship directly from a Canadian high school. But I think as as Chuba Hubbard shows, every other position could, it's possible. Chase Claypool, every other position is possible. So I want to see more of these guys get those opportunities to go play at that level because that's what it's going to take for get for them to get into the NFL. Yeah, you're going to always get the, not always, but you will get the occasional you know, one-offs like you have in Kansas city with, with LDT, or, uh, you know, like you've got now with Pierre-Olivier Lestage, who's, uh, got a really good opportunity in Seattle, uh, to do it coming out of the university of Montreal. But, you know, for those guys, especially in skilled positions, you know, we've, we've got to get them into the NCAA in order for them to get that look, you know, at that level. And I think that's, what's going to get more Canadians playing and, and ultimately, you know, as we look at all these futures, guys, most of them are going to wind up back in the CFL, right? Like, I still think you're going to see Alonzo Adai in the CFL, Eamon Ogbong-Bamiga in the CFL, Patrice Rene in the CFL, maybe Dean Leonard in the CFL. And that's great because they're going to be that much more developed for having gone down there to come back. So we're still going to benefit in the CFL because of it. But I just, you know, I love the fact that we're seeing more guys play the game at skilled positions in the NCAA and, and now getting legitimate NFL opportunities. I think that's good for everybody including the cfl
1: yeah that was my takeaway as well because i know growing up when we're talking about canadians in the nfl oh yeah we have some they are long snappers and they are place kickers and they are linemen and they are maybe a defensive lineman coming out of the university of manitoba that's a physical specimen but ultimately that's pretty much who we're talking about
0: well, they're also, sometimes we get these technical Canadians that aren't real Canadians, right? right yes, and we're about right. to celebrate Jake. We're about to celebrate Jake Burt, and he, you know, might be that guy. I mean, and Alex Singleton is kind of that guy, but he certainly took on a Canadian life and, and energy and spirit, which we all really appreciate, right? But when you look, you know, I, I went through those numbers from 2005 to 2019. Uh, there was a, you know, 15-year stretch. 19 Canadians were taken in the, in the NFL draft. Four of them were were skill players. Everybody else was a D-lineman and an O-lineman. And of those four skill players, Austin Colley had no interest in Canada when he was mm-hmm. you know, at that position you know, on draft day. Uh, TJ Jones, I covered TJ Jones at the BCS National Championship game when Notre Dame played Alabama. I was there, I asked TJ Jones about his Canadian background. He barely knew anything of it. He had no idea about anything in Canada. Nikhil Harry uh, from the, the Patriots, who they drafted in the first run, has no sense of his Canadianism, right? only chase did so like i you know i i don't like it when we we have all of these guys and we manipulate the rules to increase the talent pool but they're not necessarily true canadian and in some cases they become canadian because they realize what a great country is but for the most part they're not really connected to us anyway so you know i want to get these guys that that spent the majority of their youth here that get that opportunity and then when they come back and wave the flag now they're, they're really part of who we are right
1: Right. Yeah. T.J. Jones now would would love to be welcomed as a Canadian, would want to sure. make maybe more money than entry level Canadians would make, um, but 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 certainly would, would love to be wrapped in the flag. The the other thing that that I noticed when we were looking at the crops of these kids is the ones that are truly Canadian, as you mentioned, is where they're coming from, because for a long time, the vast majority of them came from Ontario and really came from the GTA. Now we, we've got lots of kids coming from BC, lots of kids coming from Quebec. What has changed um, to make that be the case?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think in a lot of parts of the country it's become cyclical and I think in BC it's been that way. And, you know, we had a couple of down years and now yesterday having five players from BC taken in the first three rounds was great. You know, and I, I coached against all those kids. It was fantastic, right? But, you know, you are seeing uh, some some really good programs out there. And you know, you mentioned the GTA and specifically that Brampton, Mississauga Peel region has produced so many good ones. Ottawa has had, you know, some good development pipeline that's allowed it to some kids to get to the NCAA and, and do some good things there. You know, we talked earlier about Danny Machocha and what he's doing with the Quebec players, and he's smart, right? From a marketing standpoint, getting Francophone players in there, people that have a connection to that community, I think it's going to help connect uh, you know, people from that area to that franchise, because we know how proud Quebecers are, but this isn't tokenism. Those are fantastic players. And, you know, they're, they're coming out of a very good CGF system. You've got some great programs in the RESQ, and a number of them are going to the NCAA. So, you know, it, it's rising across, across the country, right? I mean, Canada West is a very, very good football conference. So even if it's not just the BC kids, you know, you've got, you know, you've got kids coming out of some big programs in Alberta and, uh, and in uh, Manitoba as well notre dame high school from calgary i tweeted this last night three players from notre dame high school got selected yesterday amon ogbong Bumiga, dean leonard and uh tyler packer and i coached against leonard and packer when coach dave deluzio in 2016 brought his team to play us new west and and i coached against both those kids and i looked at packer and i thought how are we going to handle that? that's a division one player that part of it didn't work out for him, but obviously, you know, he, he wanted being a great collegiate player being Canada West rookie of the year and, and now getting drafted. Right. So, um, you know, a great program and, and we're all kind of learning about one another and we're all sharing resources and, you know, all boats are rising. Right. So it, it's, it's cool to be a part of and, and see it happen.
1: Yeah. And then- other thing fans want to see happen is for all of these talented kids to get on a field. Something that didn't happen for the class a year ago. And as we leave this conversation, the the last conversation is about, you know, how close we are or aren't to that being a reality. Obviously the six provinces where CFL teams live need to be in a better place in terms of vaccines and, and positives going down for any return to play protocols to to have any teeth and to make sense. There's certainly border issues in terms of getting people into the country and figuring out what that quarantine length is gonna be. And then lastly, there's fans and stands, however that looks like, whether we're in a place where we're having vaccine passports or maybe at a place closer to herd immunity. You, You saw how COVID impacted sports in a real way in your market with the Vancouver Canucks. So given that experience and the conversations that you're having broadly um you know uh, across the league what are you thinking about when it terms of what needs to happen for football to happen
0: well I believe that it's going to happen I'm an optimist by nature so I'll come at it from that perspective you know Naylor and I always joke that he's the prince of darkness and I'm the ray of sunshine right (laughs) so I (laughs) You know, I, I, I believe it's going we're going to get there and we're close. So Dave reported last night that all six provinces have now signed off on return to play. So local health authorities still need to do that so just because the province of Ontario is supporting the CFL's plan, you know, Hamilton, Ottawa, Toronto, their local health authorities have also got to make sure they're comfortable with it. And that's consistent across the country. So I do think that part of it's gonna, gonna be there. Um, they're gonna finalize the application with the federal government on the seven day quarantine piece, which I think that is gonna happen. It's a slam dunk that they're gonna be able to get that with the testing provisions they've got into place. And then fans and stands is, is real. And, and I think they do believe they're gonna be in a position to get there for august the 5th in most parts of the country not all necessarily but you know there's background conversations that have happened you know with government in saskatchewan in uh, manitoba in alberta certainly in british columbia and i think there's a pretty good feeling but what the message has been from the provinces as dave pointed out yesterday is ask us as late as possible right because we want to have as much data and we want the numbers to trend in the right direction so you know in bc slowly it's declining in in Alberta, it's actually going up a little bit, but vaccination rates across the country are also starting to climb. Supply is not as big of an issue as it was say three weeks ago where we were really behind as a country, you know, and even Americans were laughing at us. Imagine that when it comes to vaccine rollout. So, uh, you know, I think the vaccine part is headed in the right direction. So the first two pieces return to play in the provinces and the seven day quarantine. I don't think that's an issue any longer, but that last piece It's still gonna take some time. I think they're gonna get there. And I also think there's a a real understanding by all the governors, all nine teams that we must play. And that wasn't necessarily there a year ago. So even if they've got to delay a few weeks and play with no fans, I I have a strong sense that's gonna happen.
1: Well, amen to that. That's music to my ears. Now the sight that not just myself, but all CFL fans wanna see is you again, reporting either from the side of a high school field, or from (laughs) the living room in front of a massive flat screen, or preferably in a CFL stadium, giving us the great analysis that you gave us today. Thank you so much, Farhan.
0: All right, my man, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much to Farhan, who, as you can tell, not only has a great depth of knowledge on all of these players and the situations that they're about to find themselves in, he has a great passion for the game and the development of it in our country, and so I'm so thankful he was willing to share his passion for the game with us, given he really poured a lot of it into TSN's coverage, not just last night, but over the course of the last couple of weeks and months. If you want to get some bite-sized forms of that passion, that information, give him a follow. On Twitter, at Farhan Lalji, TSN, F-A-R-H-A-N-L-A-L-J-I-T-S-N is the handle. He's got a lot of good stuff for you, a lot of breaking news, not just if you're a BC Lions fan, not just if you're a CFL fan, if you are a fan of Canadian football in all its forms. Speaking of Canadian football in all its forms, the place you got to go for it, cfl.ca we break down the draft from all angles if you want to take a look at the draft tracker maybe you missed a couple picks you want to see what your team did holistically we've got that on the website if you want more context marshall ferguson gives you his five thoughts after the 2021 draft and there's a bit of a breakdown on the top picks including jake burt the tight end who has a unique approach maybe to his new life in the CFL and was a bit of a surprise pick at number one overall. All of that content you can find on our website, cfl.cn. While you're either on your phone or your computer or your tablet, make sure you're giving us a follow at CFL on IG and on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook as well. Make sure if you're listening to this podcast, subscribe, rate, share, with your friends and no, don't just share share with us your thoughts your information what would you like us to tackle who would you like us to talk to what do you like what maybe do not like so much where we can improve we do this for you so your feedback is always welcome and it will be welcome next week when we do this all again thanks for listening the Waggles,
0: the official podcast of the canadian football league